Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. generational it's actually about flesh issues versus spirit issues and it's hard for us to listen to hear words like submission and power and authority because perhaps we've been abused in some ways or we're afraid and we've heard phrases like that famous one you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely but that's not true because who has absolute power Jesus Christ has all authority. So therefore it can't be true that power necessarily corrupts or that absolute power is corrupted or corruptible because our God is incorruptible. So there has to be ways for us to talk about these things and to be able to look at what the Bible would have to say around issues of submission and authority and power. Because the problem, if we're not going to do that, is that the way it seems to be biblically, the way power works is that power works through submitted authority. It's the way power gets used, God's power. The great Chinese teacher, Watchman Nee, who lived through the, the, the communist revolution and ended up 20 years in prison, wrote some of the most profound lessons about spiritual authority during that time while he was imprisoned by unjust atheistic leaders. It's amazing stuff that he wrote. Oh, just one quote from it. He said, only those who are subject to authority can be authority. And if any of this goes ooh inside of you, you need to talk to the Holy Spirit about it. Because if we get this, we get power. Not just our power, not flesh power, spiritual power. See, I learned about power and authority early on when I joined the police. And in fact, at the age of 16, when I joined the police cadets, they did stuff like drill, where you stood in line and you, you were waiting for a command to be able to go. And you learned about what you could do and what you couldn't do. And then at the age of 18 and a half, I was kind of sworn in and they gave me the badge and they gave me the, the crown on top of the badge, if you look at that, there's a crown because there's sovereign authority that is delegated to the police to be able to do things that citizens can't do. There's things that I could do then as a police officer from that very day that I didn't have power to be able to do before because I didn't have the authority backing me up to be able to do that. So I could go out and stop the traffic. I could just go and do that. I could stop a seven and a half ton truck with the power of my hand. But actually, it wasn't the power of my hand because I could only do that subject to conditions. I had to be wearing the uniform. If I tried it in plain clothes, that would be the end of my power and my authority. Because I had to do it in a way that was submitted. There were conditions on the power. See, it's like you get to learn these things. Sometimes, as I say, in, if anybody's ever been in like an armed forces situation, you're going to realise this. So I think that's maybe why the centurion got it. Do you remember him? He comes to Jesus one day and he says, Lord, my servant's sick back at home. And, and he's like, Jesus says, well, I'll come with you. He says, no, you don't have to come with me. He's all good. I know how authority works. I know how power works. All you have to do is say the word. Because I've got people under me. And I just give one a command 
and he does it in the same way you just give a command to this sickness and it's going to go and, and like Jesus was like I've never found faith like this as I've been walking around Jerusalem but now I've met a guy who understands authority this Roman centurion who has command over a hundred knows how I have command over sickness so he said yeah go home and your servants healed see You've probably heard of a citizen's arrest. Well, there were powers of arrest that came because I became a police officer. There were things that people I could arrest people for that you couldn't arrest. And as soon as I stopped being a policeman, I couldn't do it anymore. It was like the power was taken away from me because I no longer had the authority to be able to do so. As long as I operated within the authority invested in me, I had power to be able to do things. But if I tried to step outside of that, uh uh-oh. The power, the authority came from the powers that be. Do you know that phrase was actually coined from scripture, the powers that be? Tyndale's Bible, Romans chapter 13 verse 1, the way in which William Tyndale translated it, it said, let every soul be subject unto the powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. You say, well, who's in charge? Jesus is. Because Jesus said in the Great Commission, if you remember, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So who's got all the authority? Jesus. Jesus. Who's got some of it other than him? Nobody. Except he delegates power to his disciples and he says, now I'm going to give you power to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the very ends of the earth. When you've you've waited, when you've fulfilled the conditions that's when you get to be able to go and do it. See, there were certain things I could do as a police constable, but I couldn't do these other things because I wasn't an inspector. They might have been a really good idea. Everybody else might have thought it was a really good idea, but I didn't have power to be able to do those things. There were certain other things that I couldn't do because I wasn't a superintendent. I'd have to get, that would need somebody else's power and authority. And I might like a nice, flat, non-hierarchical structure, but if I went and just decided, well, I'm going to do that because I think and feel it's the right thing to do, The murderer gets off. Because it isn't just what we do, it's the way in which we do it. It's the way in which power operates. And I had steps outside the bounds of my authority and so the powers were nullified. And Jesus wants his church to be full of his power. Do you agree? Jesus wants his church to be full of his power. He wants everyone who belongs to him to be able to access the power of heaven here on the earth. And the only way that works, and I've seen this and learned it the hard way, over many years I'm beginning to learn even more. The way in which it operates is the power of God only really comes through submitted, humble authority. So I'm going to read the chapter. First Peter, not the whole chapter. First Peter, chapter two, verses eleven to twenty-five. It's where we picked up last time. Well, in fact, from verse twelve, I'll read it from the. Uh, this is the New Living Translation. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when He judges the world. So there's something here about honour. Then the chapter heading in this one is respecting authority. For the Lord's sake, say for the Lord's sake. sake. 
Submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honour those who do right. It is God's will that your honourable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse for evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned. Nor did he deceive anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor did he threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have returned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Lord, thank you. This is your word. Amen. In World War II, you know about concentration camps and millions of people died in them. And often we focus on, on the ones that Hitler uh, and the Nazis were in, in control of. But actually the Japanese ran prisoner of war camps that broke all the laws of war and humanity because of the hatred that they had for their enemies. In fact, their belief system was such that if you were captured under soldier, then you, it was a shameful thing. You were a coward, and therefore you could be treated as, as such. You were, uh, they were often starved, enslaved, and uh, beaten. Joel, can we put the slides on? They're not coming. Ah, okay. A quarter of British servicemen who came in to those concentration camps, those prisoner of war camps, never came out. A quarter. Have you ever read that amazing book, Miracle on the River Kwai, by a guy called Ernest Gordon? It's like the, there's another story. You've got, there's, a, there's an old film, The Bridge on the River Kwai, and how they were forced to be able to, to, uh, to build this, this uh, bridge. Well, this guy, Ernest Gordon, was in this, one of these prison camps, and he tells the story. They made it into a film called To End All Wars. You can see it's on Netflix. Amazing film, true story. And, when, and it's a very Christian story because there was a lot of Christians in these camps. At one point, there's a guy called... Uh, there was one prisoner just two weeks before the end of the war. One of the prisoners had been so brutalized by one of the guards in particular who, who knew he was a Christian and just kept giving him the worst treatment because he wanted him to hate him back. And he wouldn't hate him back. And so he ended up crucifying this man in the middle of the camp in front of everybody else. John MacArthur tells a story about World War II. There was a camp in the Philippines under the command of a ruthless Japanese officer whose name was Kanishi, Lieutenant Kanishi, and he called himself the strongest white hater in the army. And his sole aim was to, to kill 
everybody under his command in his camp. And he was, got very creative finding ways to be able to do that. He would, literally, he would starve people and get them to the point where, where they would literally eat anything. And then he would give them something to eat, but he would put like sharps inside of it so that it would cut their insides and they would die in the most horrible, agonizing way. These are the kind of things that he did. And um, he'd set a day, because he could see the, the war was coming to a close and they were probably going to lose. And he set a date when he was going to just kill everybody, all of the prisoners. And he set the date as the 24th of February 1945. It just so happened that that was the day when MacArthur's troops arrived in the Philippines, liberated the camp, and Kanishi and some of his men escaped and hid and people looked for them for years until eventually he was found working as a, in Manila as a gardener on a golf club and uh, they arrested him he was tried for, and hung for war crimes terrible war crimes that he committed but just before he was about to be hung he said I need to, tell, I need to say something he made a statement he said this I believe in and love the Lord Jesus Christ and people like what? How, how, how did that happen? How did you come to know Christ? And he said that he had been so deeply affected by the testimony of the Christians in the camp that convinced him of the truth of Christianity. He said the way that they loved and lived and died made him realise that Christianity was true. And so that he said that he knew, despite the terrible things that he had done, that he was going to heaven not because of his, his own good works, but because of the good work of the cross. These are the kind of things that he said, and then he was hungry, and then he was dead. And he kind of reads something like that, you kind of think, wow, what, would he, what kind of Christianity is it that would cause somebody who so hates God and people, somebody so murderous, but that they would see the light of Christ in the way that Christians suffer, and that that would convince them, that that would be what the testimony was. See, I can preach about it, I'm, you know, I can talk about it, but in the end of the day, it's how we live, it's, it's how we love. Romans 12 verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what happened, wasn't it there? All that hatred, all that racism, which he said, he admitted was the reason behind it, was overcome. See, one of the passages that I saw a lot of Christians putting on Twitter and Facebook this week, and then you scroll down, you see an awful lot of other Christians then weighing in on what they think about it, and it's not as simple as that, was this one. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. A lot of Christians put that out there just to say, I'm just praying as Boris Johnson becomes Prime Minister. And then, opinions come from all over the place. But here, Paul is linking the idea of praying for those in authority with the gospel. Freedom for the gospel, which he sees as the most important freedom. And so he says, just pray for those in high authority. Hooper Arche. It literally means prominent officials, prominent government officials. We're commanded, not optional, to pray for them as Christians. All government officials. 
even, perhaps even especially if we think they're awful, if we don't agree with their policies or we don't agree with them, it doesn't mean that you're not to pray for them. And it doesn't say pray against them. In fact, the, the phrase pray against does not appear in the Bible. We pray, we pray for. Praying against, there's a word for that, witchcraft. He's saying we should pray for whoever is in, in power. And, and we're going to talk about what it is to be in power later. That they would use that power, that delegated power that's been given them, ultimately for the benefit, not of themselves, not even for the United Kingdom, which perhaps we need to change the name of sometime soon, because it's a pretty divided kingdom, but for the kingdom of God. That's whatever anybody else is thinking about politics and all this kind of stuff. This is the charge for Christians that we would pray in these ways. And if you've been with us so far in this series, you'll know the Apostle Peter is writing to some Christians who are undergoing some pretty severe persecution by some terribly unjust authorities and very corrupt leaders. He says in chapter one, the Christians, they're resident aliens, they are strangers, scattered by persecution. And they're facing animosity and hatred and their lives are under threat ever since the day they gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And he says to them, live in such a way that, that people go, wow, you're different. See, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to be cynical. Anybody can do that. It's harder to love. It's harder to submit. It's harder to pray. Peter calls that bearing up under suffering. And yes, I've written to my MP on various occasions over the years. You know what I've usually written to them to say? How can I pray for you? Whichever party they've been in. I've written to councillors and I've said, how can I pray for you? I've signed petitions. I've got opinions. You've got opinions. We will have different opinions about our opinions. And there is a time to open our mouths, but Peter's talking here about something differently. He's talking about living in such a way that it stops the mouths of those who are opponents of Christ. They go, huh? He says that is actually the greatest argument for the gospel. Transformed lives. See, I can preach about Jesus and that he changed lives, but ultimately it's the transformed power of a transformed life you know, people are testing our testimonies. Paul said we're living letters. And in the very next chapter after this, Peter's going to say, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason you have for the hope that is in you. He's saying there, it should be the case that when everybody else is hopeless and saying, oh, it's hopeless, they come to you and say, but you've got hope, haven't you? How do I get that? You're, oh, I'm a Christian. Are the Christians known as the most hopeful people? Because according to this, we should be. Why? Because our hope is not in a political outcome. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in a particular policy. Our hope is in the Prince of Peace. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ of the increase of his government. There shall be no end. That's what my hope is. Do you have any hope? I see so many people and Christians communicating despair as if that's attractive to the world. We should be the hope people. 
If you haven't got hope, you have to wonder, do you have Jesus? Because the presence of Jesus is the presence of hope. The absence of hope may be an indicator of the absence of Jesus. Because he's the one we put our hope in. More Jesus, hopeful. Less Jesus, hope. Hopeless. I don't want to be hopeless. So, yeah, Christians can certainly engage in politics. Maybe for you that's part of the call of God for your life. If so, he says how to do it. He goes on to say that with gentleness and respect. That's how you do it. With gentleness and respect. But again, our hope is not built on a political party. That's why I'm saying, I'm very wary of anybody saying we're the Christian party because nobody's got a monopoly on Jesus Christ. No political party, no political leader. He rules over all. That's why Peter's assumption for them and for us is that we would always have hope because we have Jesus. So that we would live such a life that people would come to us who are looking in an increasingly hopeless at times world. That as it gets darker, they come to us and say, how, do you, how come you're hopeful? How come you're different? How do I get that? Get Jesus. Now, Peter's been telling him, as aliens and strangers live differently. In the message, verse 12 says this, live an exemplary life among the natives so your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side. Not to your side, not to my side. We want to win them over to God's side. That's what matters. The great historian Tertullian, who lived through these times, he contrasted the early Christians with the rest of the Roman Empire. He was convinced himself when he saw how Christians lived. It wasn't about what we preached. He said no Christian was to be found in prison for crime except that of faith. That's what the distinction was. You know, like the one time somebody put on my Facebook page because of this, oh, Peter, you know, got into civil, dis- you, know, he, you know, there was like civic disturbance and all of that. The one time when Peter said no to authorities, what was it? In Acts, they said to him, you must not preach anymore in the name of Jesus. He said, you've got to decide, we've got to decide whether I obey God or you. I'm obeying God. I'm going to go to prison for that. I'll go to jail for that. And he did. Paul went to jail for that. He didn't suffer for being rebellious. He suffered for doing what Jesus told him to do. I'd go to jail for that. If they said it's against the law to preach the name of Jesus, I've got no choice but to do this. For the rest of my life, as long as I can, I want to tell people about Jesus, no matter what the cost. Give us grace. And, they, and he said the other ways in which they lived. So Tullian said that the unbelievers, the pagans were astonished because they, these Christians treated women and children with respect. When plague struck, the pagans deserted even their families and ran off to the hills so they wouldn't get the plague. But the Christians went and nursed them and died alongside them, many of them, the sick and the dying. When, when on a battlefield, the dead were left wounded and hurting, the Christians went to tend to their wounds. It was, this was the things that were so amazing that made the gospel spread like crazy. When the pagans went and left their unwanted babies out on rubbish dumps to die, exposure, that's what the form of abortion effectively that they carried out at the time, the Christians would go and pick them up and bring them home and adopt them. All these ways Christians live differently 
even though they were being persecuted for it. And so this is why Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every ordinance of man. Submit is the word hupertasso. It means arrange yourself in orderly fashion. It, again, it's an army word. It's like stand in the place that you've been told to stand. You would be, you know, for me, when I was joining the police cadets, they taught you to stand there and you knew who you were next to, you knew you were there and you didn't go out here, you get in big trouble for that. You stood there in the place that you were meant to stand. That was how the army could march. People didn't just walk wherever they wanted to walk. Oh, we're all marching over here, but I think, oh, that's nice, I'm going to go off on a hill. No, no, we march together because I know my place and I know who's next to me. See, what he's saying here is spiritually, he's been saying you're above the system, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to learn to live within the system that we're living in. And he says the way we do that is for the Lord's sake we learn submission. That means even though leaders at times may seem fickle, might be corrupt, might be unrighteous, might seem opposed to God, for the Lord's sake. What does that mean? Well, how do you think, you know, if you think it's hard for you, can you imagine how hard it was for the Lord to submit to the authorities, the human authorities? When they asked Jesus about paying taxes to a corrupt dictator, he, what did he do? He picked up a coin bearing the image of that emperor. He held it up and he said, whose image is this? Oh, it's Caesar's. Okay, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give back to God what belongs to God. Now, whose image do we bear? God, give yourself back to him. Later on in verse 21, Peter says, Christ left us an example Hands up, show of hands, do you think we should, we should think Christ is a good example for us? Yeah, I think this is what it says. Christ ought to be our example. What example did he leave us that we should follow in his steps? Well, when unrighteous, ungodly, unjust leaders, the, the religious Jewish leaders used their power wrongly, the civic authorities, the Romans, harassed him and hurt him and hung him on a cross at the end. What did he do? They were guilty, he was innocent. They were wrong, he was right. Did he smack back? Did he attack back? Did he shout and scream? Did he chain himself to things? Did he start a riot? Did he get the thousands who wanted to keep calling him king to come and do that and enthrone him? Did he say, let's overthrow and destroy the temple? That's what they accused him of. But later on, they said there's no evidence. No, he lived under their authority. Their self-interested, unrighteous authority for the 33 years of his earthly life. He made himself nothing, it says in Philippians chapter two. Took on the very nature of a servant. Humbled himself. And then he laid down his life to death, even death on a cross. He paid the temple tax on his father's house. He, he just kept going around calling sinners to repent and believe and receive the kingdom of heaven. And so Peter, remember, the one who took a sword out and chopped somebody's ear off because he knew what to do. He knew how to respond recalls how, he's, how, Peter, how Jesus stood there silent before the high priest, regal before Pilate. So Pilate says, are you a king? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
And then he said to Pilate, you would have no authority except that which is given from heaven. And this amazed Pilate because he thinks I've got all the power. I'm the procurator. I'm the governor. And I've got Caesar behind me. But now I've got a king in front of me. How did Jesus submit? I'll tell you why. Because he kept on submitting to the father. He could submit to the person in front of him because he was already submitted to the father. So on every occasion he would say, your will be done. Your will be done. That's not passive. That's impressive. That's powerful. The Amplified Version of verse 23 says, He did not revile or offer insult in return. When he was abused and suffered, he made no threats. But he kept on trusting him who judges fairly. It's a trust issue. It's a faith issue. He kept his mouth shut and kept on trusting the one who is sovereign. That's the example, Peter says, we should follow. But you say, oh yeah, well that's all right, but our, our world is not like their world. Really? So you may or may not like who is in power in the country that you live in. You wouldn't have liked Nero. I can pretty much guarantee that. He came into power at the age of 17 in 54 AD. For the 14 years that he reigned, the empire, he was a brutal, deceptive, tyrannical sex maniac. He killed his own mother. He kicked his second wife to death. He crashed the economy. He devalued the currency to build his own palaces. He set fire to large parts of Rome and then blamed the Christians for doing it. And then had them crucified, burnt, alive, tortured, thousands of them. At the age of 31, after declaring what an artist dies in me, he committed suicide. It was during Nero's reign, remember, that Peter's writing this and that Peter was later martyred. And yet, a few years before that, Peter writes to these Christians and says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Now, if you're getting about this, it's not my job to make anybody like the Bible. It's to present it to you and for you to decide what to do with what it says. And around the same time, in case you think, well, that's just Peter, the Apostle Paul writes Romans 13, verse 1. We started with that verse. Who does he write to? The Romans. That's why it's called Romans. In the church in Rome, when Nero is in power at the time, and he says, let every person who gets a buy let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. You say, well, that doesn't really mean our government. Mm, okay. If you write yourself out of the commands, you may also be writing yourself out of the blessings. That's the problem. Because he says, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Somehow behind God's working his purposes out in a sovereign way. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Wow. And you say, yeah, well, all right, but what about North Korea? That's the question that comes up. What about North Korea? Well, I was at Spring Harvest a couple of years ago. 
And we had some incredible people, including some believers from North Korea, who were praying for North Korea, who were praying for the government of North Korea. And we all at Spring Harvest faced towards North Korea and we, we joined with the prayers of, of thousands, especially in South Korea, who were praying day and night for North Korea. And we particularly focused on Kim Jong-un. And guess what? A couple of weeks later, you just started to see something start to move. Something start to change. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm, I don't want to go and live in North Korea. I don't envisage an Ivy North Korea anytime soon. But things that people said were impossible started to happen there. And people were praying. Do you know how many times they beat Paul and imprisoned him? Totally unjust. But you never read about Paul resisting arrest. They put him in chains. Do you think they had to fight him? They they tied him to a whipping post. Do you think they had to drag him? No. He went under that authority. At various points, he actually said, I'm a citizen of Rome. He he, He declared that. And... He submitted to their authority. He went in the stocks. He went in chains. He went into the prison and he sang praises to God. And then what happened? Earthquake. Revival. This is how we fight our battles. What's your favourite Old Testament verse? You got one? Anybody got one? Old Testament? Jeremiah 29 11, I knew he was going to say like, boom! I, it's my favourite too. I saw my wedding ring. Jeremiah 29 11. For I alone know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to help you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a bright future. What's the context of that? It's 600 years before Peter. It's a message to God's people, the Jewish people in Babylonian captivity, in a pagan land, far from the temple, under a pagan ruler by the name of Nebuchadnezzar II. He's the guy who throws Daniel's friends into the furnace because they won't bow down to worship the big statue of him remember that the one who tried to brainwash them and get them to just assimilate into their culture and come away from their God the one who actually himself went mad and lived out in the fields like a wild animal do you remember that bit anybody read that bit in Daniel Amazing story. In fact, let's look at that before we come back to Jeremiah. God humbled that leader. Daniel served that leader. See, we could think our job is to humble that leader. Who's better at doing that? It would appear God can do that. Daniel served him. Daniel served all of those emperors that were underneath him. He gave them his best when Nebuchadnezzar interpreted, Daniel had a, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel gets called in because he serves him. And he, and he says, oh, oh, I wish somebody else had had that dream and not you. He's not like, oh, good, you've got a bad dream. He's like, oh, I wish somebody else had had that dream and not you. And he interpreted the dream and it was bang on. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, okay, everybody should serve your God. But it seems he'd forgotten because he didn't want to serve him. And a little while later... One day he's out looking around at the, the tower hanging gardens of Babylon and all the stuff and he starts to think, I'm a pretty amazing guy. I'm a great leader. I am pretty awesome. I'm a, I'm a dude. And then, in a dream, 
he gets told something. The holy ones declare the verdict so the living might know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Notice that. Who's sovereign? The most high. Who decides who gets to rule? The most high. Daniel says to him, your majesty, this is the decree. You'll be driven away among, from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone who wishes. And this literally comes true and, and Nebuchadnezzar ends up with this condition where he's driven away from people and he just lives out in the fields like an animal. It is actually a condition. That, that people end up having. There's a name for it, boanthropy, a delusional state where somebody actually believes that they're a cow or an ox. And this is it, he's eating grass. Don't laugh, Nick, it's not right. <laughs> and, and he has this, this condition for years until he comes to his senses. And then this is what Nebuchadnezzar writes. In the middle of Daniel's book, he's like, he says, Daniel, give me the pen, I need to write something now. Because God's shown me something. God's humbled me. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the kingdom of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble you know whose job it is for me to humble? I've got enough of my own stuff. The most powerful man on the planet was humbled by the king of kings until he realised, until he got the message that actually heaven rules. The most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. See, there may be a leader that when we're reading this, you're listening and you're thinking, oh, yeah, God, I hope, hope God shows him that. Hope, hope God really shows him. I hope God really humbles him. Anybody come to mind for you? It could be a boss at work. It could be that, oh, yeah, I really hope, really hope God shows him. Have we learned it? Have we learned the lesson? See, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 29, all around there, verse four starts this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. And then down to verse 10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come back and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and harm you, plans to give you hope and a bright future. Then you will come to me and call on me and pray to me and I will listen to me. You will, I'll listen to you. You will seek me and find me you when you seek with all your heart. What's he saying? To these people who are in a place they don't want to be under leaders that they don't want to lead, they don't lead them. Build a house. Give your sons and daughters in marriage. Be married. 
make a garden, make it a really nice garden. In that hostile pagan place, make that city prosper, give it your best, serve there. While you're there, it's temporary. You're only here for a while. This isn't your real home. One day, when this time's over, you're going to go to your real home. But for now, when it prospers, you're going to prosper, so give it your best. Is that a message for us? Of how to live as citizens, of how to live as citizens of a kingdom. I believe it is. See, later on, Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Again, I don't see any exceptions there. There's bits in the Bible sometimes I wish had an asterisk that could, I could then go to the back you know, somewhere underneath and it would say, except for <laughs> Anthony Delaney. Except in the following circumstances, but those asterisks don't appear. It says every human institution. And he goes on to talk about this even applies in various ways in, in, in slavery. That doesn't mean the Bible can, condones slavery. There's a whole different sermon on that. He talks about how it applies in different relationships like marriage too. But the idea is, even when it feels unnatural to us, and, and this is about living supernatural, above the natural, God wants us to be spiritual. Lucifer is the lawless one. Lucifer is the proud rebel against authority. And, and listen, if really there were no delegated authority, if there were no laws, if everybody just did whatever they wanted to do, how good would that be? It'd be awful. It'd be hell. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Ah, oh, but I don't agree with that policy. But I don't agree with this position. Oh, but I really don't agree. Okay, feelings run high. Feel free to express your opinion graciously. Argue it intelligently with the person. Talk about the, the problem. Don't make it personal. Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. I think I can think about it three times. <laughs> oh no, no, I've got that wrong again. But there's all these issues, there's all these factions, there's all these tough decisions, there's all these parties. What does God want? What's the will of God? Well, he finishes by telling us, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's the will of God. Do good. Let's pray. Two Corinthians chapter 10 verse three says, for though we walk in the flesh, that means we're here, that means we're human. That's the truth. We're in this world. We do not war according to the flesh. Is that true? Is that really true of us? He says, we don't, why not? Because we've got better weapons. How often do we use those weapons? Let's, let, as we pray, that's what we're gonna do. Let's use them now. Let's pray for 
our nations. If you're visiting from another nation, let's pray for those nations. Pray for God's just rule across the earth. Pray for those in, in a high authority and in any authority. Pray from the, the, the king and the queen down to the traffic wardens. Anybody who's exercising authority that we would be godly and justly ruled. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations. Every high thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lord, we are in spiritual warfare. Always. This nation right now is engaged in spiritual battles principalities and powers are at war with regard to all these nations of Europe and all of those surrounding nations and Lord our principal weapons are not Twitter and Facebook and arguments and shouting and petitions Lord we're not wrestling against flesh and blood we have better weapons more powerful weapons. Lord, teach us to fight on a spiritual level. Help us to use our powerful weapons, your word, our worship, our prayer and intercession. Not just fleshly, not just on human terms. Lord, we thank you now that as we contend, you said that all of these governmental issues are so that evil may be punished and righteousness exalted. Lord, that's what we pray. In Proverbs it says, righteousness exalts a nation. We pray that, Lord. Let righteousness exalt and be exalted in this nation. As we pray for the Queen, the Royal Family, and we pray for the Prime Minister, the opposition, all those in high authority. We pray for the Mayor of Manchester. And Lord, we thank you that as we pray, we are praying powerfully. And Lord, we pray that we would wield these weapons well to smash the massive strongholds of sin and of Satan and the principalities and powers that must bow down before the King of Kings. We tear down, we pull up, we uproot, Lord, as we've been given authority, as you gave authority to Jeremiah to do. Lord, all the human reasonings, all of those arguments and speculations that oppose your way, your thoughts, Lord, tear them down in Jesus' name. Let your truth be exalted. Every lofty thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God, pull them down, Lord, and be exalted in our land. Be lifted up, be glorified as we submit to human authority in this place. As we arrange and align ourselves and are submitted to you and the authorities to which you've ordained, then we have authority. We have power in your name, Lord Jesus. So start with us. If we want to take captive thoughts, start taking our thoughts captive more and more, Lord. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Lord, you had all authority, but you made yourself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness and appearance as a man, you humbled yourself became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, thank you, Lord, that you are exalted 
to the highest place and you have been given the name that is above every name and that is the only name that is worthy of our worship and the the name that we will proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted Lord thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org media